You're listening to Are You Happy Business Podcast on Captivate. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Ford Stakes and um, with another episode of Are You Happy? Welcome to the team, Ford. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm excited for the show today, Tom. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I started as an entrepreneur when I was 15 years old and uh, grew several successful businesses. And then people started asking me how I did it. So that's the business side of it. The personal side, I, you know, I grew up in foster care in, in North Minneapolis um, and I was balanced around families and kind of took care of myself and learned that, you know, happiness is really a choice. So when I heard about the opportunity to be featured on this, I'm like, that's an interesting topic since so many people use their outside circumstances to determine their happiness when really I think it comes from inside. And I'm talking to myself too, because yeah, I don't walk around like rainbows out of my butt every day. I mean, there's always these things that, that, you know, I get challenged on, but ultimately it comes back to me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And what I've found is if you're seeking it, then you don't have it, you know? So like you can't search for happiness. It has to be within you. Right. Yeah. I think, I think everybody has rules. So, I mean, I've never really thought about it like that because I mean, I, I, I aspire to, go through the day and have more happiness. Um, but as an entrepreneur, you know, I'm always seeking, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at, but I'm always looking to get to that next level or looking to do something better. So I don't know if that, if I'd agree or not, I guess it's a new thought. <laughs> no, and, and absolutely. And I think that's, what's great is it's defined by the individual rather than the whole, because we all have our own path. It's not necessary that anyone's, um, like a square peg in a round hole. Right. So, right. I do. I do believe that we're, we have a lot more control over our happiness than what most people go through the day thinking. Most people yes. want to blame the government or the news, or the media or the politicians or their economy or their parents um, yeah. or their upbringing or whatever. And I think, I mean, those are all serious factors, of course, but ultimately I think, you know, as, as you've grown your following, it really comes down to how you work internally from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So now you said you started as an entrepreneur at 15 years old. I want to hear about this. So um, at, at 15 years old, I found myself in a jail cell six foot by eight foot thinking, maybe I haven't made the best life choices. And um, it was a juvenile issue. They, I was arrested for Grand Theft Auto, although I hadn't stolen anything. I lived in the projects of North Minneapolis and one of our neighbors stole a mini bike and put it on our porch. So, because we were on the first floor and he was on the second floor. So guilty by association. So I found myself, you know, in jail for a crime I didn't commit. I'd certainly done other things, but not that. And so I, while I was there, one of the guards gave me a cassette program by Napoleon Hill called, or um, Old Nightingale, sorry, Old Nightingale called The Strangest Secret. And that was the first time I'd ever heard anything positive. It was the first time I'd ever heard any positive programming. Up until that point, Tom, I'd always been told I was gonna die before I was 25. And so when I got that cassette program and it was like, you can change your life and you can change your beliefs. And I was just all foreign you know, to me at 15 years old. So I got out and I was trying to figure out a way to earn money other than how everybody in my neighborhood was earning money, which is a whole nother podcast. And uh, I decided what I would do is I'd start a painting company because anytime I would drop an F-bomb or, or cuss or anything, uh, 
they would make me paint. So I became a pretty good little painter. And so I went to my friends in shop class and I said, you know, hey, would you make me up some flyers that say Sakes Painting, Light Construction, handed them out all over town. And finally, after a couple of weeks of handing out the flyers, I got a prospect call. And I, oh my goodness, I don't even know what to do. I don't have a paintbrush. So Tom, I went to the local paint store, went to the manager and said, hey, I just started this business, will you help me? He said, kid, get the heck out of my store. And I didn't realize at the time, long hair, army jacket, you know, uh, just a punk kid. And um, he said, okay, I'll help you. And he went and grabbed a paint, coat of paint, and, or a quart of paint, and he started spackling me with paint. I'm like, holy crap, and I said something else. But I said, what are you doing? And he said, you don't look like a painter. I'm like, all right, yes, now I do. So he gave me instructions, clipboard and calculator, and off I went to the prospect's house. I get to the prospect's house, and Tom, you know all about self-talk. My self-talk kicks in. You're 15 years old. You don't have any parents. You don't have any money. What makes you think you can start a business at 15 years old? Blah, 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 blah. And I just thought, I don't have anything to lose. I knocked down the door, went through the house, started recording all the dimensions for the rooms and all the different things he wanted. Very overwhelmed at that point. And I said I had to go back to my office to prepare the proposal, which I didn't have an office. I just didn't have any other instructions. So I drove back to the paint store. Paint manager helped me calculate all the materials and labor and uh, supplies I would need. And back I went with my proposal, my first one at 15 years old. So the second time the door opens, the man's wife's standing there. She takes one look at me and steps right behind her husband. I'm thinking, okay, this isn't going to go well. Shaking, I had the proposal, Tom, and I said, okay, here's the proposal. I need 50% up front and 50% on completion of the job. It was $1,025. And she took a look at me down with the proposal and said, do you have any experience? Okay, so this was a critical point. Do I tell them that I repainted the whole north wing of the Hennepin County Detention Center? Um, or do I tell them what I told them? I just thought on my feet and I said, look, if you're not satisfied with the job, you don't have to pay. She said, honey, write him a check. So that first check I got for $525. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot of money in today's day. But back in 1976, that was a lot of money. Um, more than I would made in, would make in three, four months at, at the Army Surplus Store as a cashier. And uh, that started my business. And that first year, I made $35,000 in gross sales. And today's equivalence, that's about $300,000. So not bad for a kid from the projects with a ninth grade education you know, first business. So that was when I learned, okay, if I do something positive, I get positive rewards. And so that was the start of it. So that's the condensed version, but that's, that's how I got started. Wow. That is phenomenal. And was all of your business right in town, like within walking distance? Well, um, I, I did have a car, a 66 Chevelle, uh, with no tags, insurance <laughs> or title. That's a whole different story. Um, but, um, but I found that painters like to do two things. They like to paint and drink. So I sold the jobs and I got three crews working for me. Their average age was 40 years old and they went out and did the actual work. I sold it. So I was going door to door, handing out flyers. I was marketing and sales and that they were doing the work and I was keeping 40% and then giving them 60%, which was, they loved it. And uh, so it was all over the metro area of Minneapolis. Wow. Wow. And the Mississippi runs through Minneapolis, doesn't it? Uh, the Mississippi River runs straight through it. It starts at north like in Duluth and comes all the way south to the 
Uh, the Gulf, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a beautiful place. I've been there. I like Minnesota. It's very similar. I'm from Michigan, so the climate's about the same. It's, it might be a little bit colder over there in Minneapolis. So it, um, it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> what did that lead to? What was the next business after that? Um, so after I started the painting company, I I um, started a carpet cleaning company. Back then, I sold computer ribbons back in the day in Dot Matrix, probably before you were born, but they used to have these printers that you should have to put you know, ribbons in like a typewriter and sold those. And um, I, had, I sold insurance. I did all kinds of different things to learn the skills. I, I just knew that if I could find a want and fill it, not a need, because people don't do what they need. They do what they want. And so I found that I could you know, be successful by adding value. And so every time I needed money or needed to think about you know, earning money, then it was like, okay, the question I asked wasn't how do I make more money? The question I asked was how do I add more value? And so you know, if there's a listener out there, a viewer that's thinking about where they are in their career and their business, their life, you know, my question is how do you add more value? Um, because there's no such thing as, as job security. There's only skill security. And if you wanna earn more money, you gotta add more value. I mean. Now, I, I know I probably think that way because I'm a CEO of a company and I've got employees and I want them to add value. But that is really how I, what I believe um, about the foundation of how you can grow your wealth and prosperity. But there's more to it than that. And, and you know, happiness isn't all about money. But I'm not of the belief, Tom, that you have to be poor to be happy. I don't, I don't buy into the, well, you know, I just... I just want to do what's right for the world and, 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 you know, I don't really care about the money. Well, I agree. If you add value, the money will come. I don't want you to be focused on money either, but money isn't evil. It can be, but you know, a lot of people have that, that programming. I know I had that programming growing up. I mean, a lot of the foster care families that I was brought into, you know, they were affluent, but they treated me terribly. So obviously I did have some, you know, programming back in the back of my mind that, you know, maybe, I've got some problems there. Yeah. And then after that, how did you get to prime concepts? Well, um, so throughout the years, you know, I was, uh, the, the longer answer is I was a speed skater in Minnesota and I got invited to the Olympic training center in Colorado Springs to be an athlete. And, uh, this was in the 70 at 79 and, I went south from Minneapolis to Kansas City, and a guy I was with said, hey, I know a girl in Wichita, and I'm 18 years old. So I'm like, okay, does she have a friend? And so we, we ended up in Wichita, Kansas, and we ran out of money. They boycotted the 80 Olympics, and I just stayed. And um, when I get, went from speed skating to cycling, and so I started racing bicycles and bought some pretty expensive bicycles and didn't have anywhere to put them. So I invented a product that went from floor to ceiling to store your bicycles. And when I invented it, I patented it. And people said, it will never sell. No one's gonna pay $200 for an oak bike rack or an aluminum bike rack when they can buy a hook for 99 cents. And I just thought to myself, you know, people buy Cadillacs, they don't buy Yugos. And I know the audience probably doesn't know what a Yugo is, but it was a really cheap car. And I'm like, yeah, you can buy a hook for 99 cents, but you have to drill a hole in the ceiling, you lose your damage deposit, you know, certainly that's not the same. And um, so I, I invented this product and people told me it would never sell. And I grew the company up to 140 employees and $50 million in gross sales. And so people did buy it. 
and um, had I sold through Walmart and and JC Penney at the time and Sam's Club and Costco and mass merchants and I had 4000 dealers across the United States and I was in specialty catalogs like Sharper Image and Williams Sonoma and all the bicycle magazines I had 4000 dealers like I said so I learned a lot about the different channels of distribution and how to market and how to grow a business and so when I sold that company I tried to retire but as an entrepreneur I'm you know I'm unhirable probably and so I just started another business and so what happened was people started to ask me, how did I do it? How did I take an idea from a napkin to fruition? What did I do? What, what, was the, what was the mindset? What was the strategies? What were the tactics? And so that led to Prime Concept. So that led to me helping other people as an incubator for their ideas and launching their products. Uh, and so then that led to speaking and training. Now I, I'm in the Hall of Fame of professional speaking, one of only 160 people in the world. Wow. And I make my living speaking at corporations and associations to inspire them through business growth acceleration and local marketing and, you know, workplace strengths. And so, you know, as, as a conduit for helping other people grow and then so Prime Concepts was the foundation, and then it led to some other businesses. But I also learned time along the way that people will pay more for information than they will for just about anything. Mm -hmm. Because I was in automotive, child care, and uh, medical products also I've invented. And I, I found that you, know, you don't always, can't always control your cost of goods. You don't always have control over supply chain issues, just like what we've seen happen in the last couple of years. But information becomes even more valuable uh, and if you can solve people's problems, then people will pay for it. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So, like, what is a typical client at Prime Concepts? They come to you, like, what? what's your main main focus with Prime, Prime Concepts? Well, the, the, the problem I solve, so anybody who's in business, the problem that they have to ask themselves are, what problems do I solve that other people will pay to make go away? So just like you with your podcast, Are You Happy? or your documentary or anything else you do, it's, you know, what problems do people have that, that they will pay to make go away? I mean, that's kind of basic. At the end of the day, people want to know what's wrong with me. Can you fix it? How much does it cost and how long will it take? And so, you know, you, you got to look at that and you got to say, okay, what what's my real business here? And um the ideal client for Prime Concepts is someone who is in business, either business to consumer or business to business. And what they're looking for is they're looking for four things. They're looking to expand their influence, which they want to reach more people and let more people know about what they do. They want to grow their subscriber list so that they have more people they can communicate to. They want to increase their lead capture so they capture more leads of people who've raised their hand and said yes i'm interested in what you do and then they want to sell new and repeat sales so ultimately they're trying to grow their business so as prime concepts it's a marketing agency so primeconcepts.com for the listeners that aren't watching and the speaking is at profitrichresults.com and of course they can just google my name i'm sure my name will be in the show description and and the, the notes um, my last name is hard to spell, so it's S-A-E-K-S. A lot of people transpose it, so S-A-E-K-S. If you just Google Ford, like the car, Ford Sakes, you'll find out more about me than you ever wanted. But the ideal client for me is 
somebody who's interested in accelerating their growth and they've got value and they're looking to bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to go. Mm, that's amazing. So what's your, what's the best case study that you've done? Like what's your favorite story of what you've worked with? Well, there's, there's been so many stories that I've, that I've worked with. Um, so many companies and, you know, as, as a strategic consultant working with organizations and brands, I'm brought in at various stages in a business. Uh, one that comes to mind is a product called floating swimwear. And I used to have a boat in Wichita here and it was in El Dorado, Kansas, and it was a small boat, 27 foot boat. And, um, my son was five years old at the time. And I don't know if you have kids, Tom, but he, you know, my wife was terrified that he was going to fall in the water. Now you got to understand, Tom, this was a lake. Uh, this was a lake that you could see all the way edges from everywhere. There were, like, you were never away from shore, you know, it was two miles around the whole lake. And, um, so I went to a boat show and I was walking down the aisle and I saw this banner that said floating swimwear. And it was a swimsuit for kids with a zipper in the back and flotation sewn into the swimsuit like a superhero costume. Now, the reason this, 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 I noticed this was because when Logan, my son, was on the boat, my wife had a rope tied to one of those orange horse collar life jackets and he hated wearing the thing. It was uncomfortable. It rode up under his chin. And so I saw this swimsuit and I walked up to the guy and I said, hey, I'd like to buy two of those. And he said, wouldn't you like to know how much they cost first? And now, you know, being in marketing, I thought, boy, I, I can't give him any more buying signals than I want this, <laughs> um, right. you know? And, and I was like, that's just the wrong question to ask. But I just thought, okay, no big deal. And you know, it was $35, so I bought two of them and, and started walking away. Logan was all excited. You know, they were like superhero costumes. And I turned around, I walked back and I had my business card and I, you know, normally I'm in t-shirts and jeans like I am today, I'm in t-shirts and jeans. And I held in my business card and I said, hey, sir, you know, and, and at the time I was 27. So this is, you know, I'm 61 now, so do the math. But I, I said, hey, sir, I could really help you uh, sell this. Now, at the time I had 140 employees. I had channels of distribution. I was already in the sporting goods industry. So I already had several contacts. I was selling to Target and all these stores. I knew I could sell the product. He took a look at me and he said, if I had a nickel for everybody who told me I'd make money with this product, I would have retired long ago. Get out of here, kid. And I'm thinking, all right, you're lost. So I leave, I go to the lake and Logan's wearing the swimsuit and everybody at the marina who sees them wants one of these suits. I mean, everybody's like, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? Now being the entrepreneur, I, I, I got a boat so I could get away from business, but of course I couldn't turn it off. So I told my wife, look, I'll be back. Went back to the boat show, walked up to the guy and said, I wanna buy all your inventory. And he said, I can't sell it because the show is two more days and I wouldn't have anything to sell. And I just thought, boy, this guy doesn't get it. I'm, I'm here telling him I wanna buy everything. Um, but I finally convinced him to sell me all of his inventory. And he laughed as we loaded them all into my, into my van and um, took them back to the marina, took all the potato chips off the shelf, threw them on the floor and put the swimsuits up there, made a deal with the marina operator to sell them for $50 a piece and split it 50-50. And uh, because I bought the suits at a discount, it, we both made money and it was just, you know, it's a quick weekend thing. So two weeks later, we sold out all the inventory. Everybody was happy. I made a little money. I forgot all about it. And then the guy called me 
who I bought the suits from, and he said, hey, what'd you do with my year's worth of inventory? And I said, that was a year's worth of inventory? I said, I sold it at one marina in two weeks. And he's like, no way. So we, we worked together and fast forward the story. Um, I helped him grow that business from a garage operation to $10 million in sales in three years. So well, it wasn't by making the product better. And it wasn't by doing some, you know, back then there was no such thing as viral videos or influencers. I mean, that didn't even exist uh, pre-internet, right? And so um, we set up a different channel of distribution. We changed the buying model. We sold it to pool and spa stores instead of to individuals. We changed the distribution model. And that's how we made a lot of money. So when you ask what's my favorite story, and I've got a dozen stories like that, that's just one of the examples of, yeah. of moving it forward. That's amazing. Now, have you written a book? I do have two books. Uh, I've got several books I've written, but the two most popular right now on Amazon are Superpower. So if they Google Superpower by Ford Sakes, they'll see it. Um, and then the other one is Accelerate, which is uh, it's a book for franchise owners, people who have a small business or own franchise. Uh, to maximize the local marketing and boost their sales. Oh well, that's a <laughs> you've had the like the most interesting life. I mean, yeah. Well, I know we just to... met, but I mean, I appreciate the stories and being able to share. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you sharing them with me. That's, I mean, like I'm, I feel honored just to be on the same Zoom call as you. But, but well, you know, I I'm honored to 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 do these things you know people ask well why do you do podcasts well let's let's break it down you know you've got a bigger following in certain circles than i do and how am i going to expand my influence other than sharing knowledge right so it's a win-win for me if i'm able to add some value to your listeners then more people find out about me and in the meantime if they're inspired by something i say then you've helped them too yeah one one thing that i've been talking about a lot in these business podcasts have you noticed an evolution in the employee atmosphere since since COVID happened and everybody went to work from home and it seems like the younger generation um they're no longer defined by their nine to five they're defined with some of them are defined with what they do outside of work which i can applaud in a certain certain sense um, but i was just wondering what your perspective was on. yeah what's my perspective on that let me see how i want to uh, answer this question um <laughs> And for the record, everybody, those are my sound effects. Tom has no control. And, and the other thing I would say is um, this is for educational purposes only. I'm not giving anybody legal advice. Okay, with the disclaimers out of the way, um, <laughs> look, it, when it, one of the biggest things I get hired for right now is staffing challenges because everybody's having a hard time finding, retaining, engaging employees. And I've got employees too. Now, back when I had 140 employees, it was a little different. Now I've got a dozen and, you know, it's probably 11 more than I probably want. Um, but that's because in business, people are good at one of three things. They're good at leading people and managing, or they're good at delivering the product or service, or they're good at marketing and sales. Very rarely will any entrepreneur be good at all three of those modalities. I'm good at the marketing and sales, and I'm good at delivering whatever the product and service is. Now, I, I know about leadership. I wrote a book on leadership. I mean, I, I understand the concepts, and I understand how to do it. But it's, it's not my natural go-to. My natural go-to is, I'm paying you, why don't you do the dang work, and I don't understand why you're not motivated. Now, obviously, I'm exaggerating a little bit, for those of you wondering, uh, so much for me hiring new people. But 
what it, what it comes down to, I think, is there's there's so many different generations in the marketplace right now. There's I've heard there's Gen Z, Gen A, millennials, traditionalists, boomers. Um, um, God, I can't think of all of them right now. Gen X and Gen Y. And what I would tell everybody is there's always been a diverse workforce. And people in the workforce are defined by what was going on when they were growing up. So their beliefs and their behaviors and their mindset are what's, what was going on, what was going on culturally when they grew up. And if you go back and you study the generations, you can clearly see why people think the way they do. And yes, I do agree now that the younger generation isn't as some of them. I want to be very careful here because I have millennials on my staff and younger people too. Millennials are not the youngest anymore. But um, I, I do believe that everybody's an individual, but I think that the culture has conditioned them. You know, now you hear about quiet quitting and you hear about the great resignation and people are leaving and then everybody went remote and now they don't want to come back to work and they really work just so they can have free time where, you know, someone like me who grew up in the 60s and 70s, I was motivated to be successful because I didn't want to be poor and broke all the time. Um, and I still deal with some of those issues that, that carried over from when I was a child, right? So you don't always ever escape those things. But I, I, I know this is a long road to a tiny house for your question. But what I would say is, yeah, there's, there's a challenge in the workforce right now in how people get led, the cult, workplace culture, how you find them, how you engage them, how you retain them. Uh, culture is, I think, more important now than it ever was in organizations. And making sure that the culture isn't just a poster, it's not a mission, vision, and values on the wall, but it's how do you live and how do you show up every day and, and how do they show up? And I think that businesses today need to set some standards for what's acceptable behavior because unfortunately, there, is, there are workforce, there are employees that come to work who think that it's totally fine to be watching YouTube videos or TikTok videos all day at work. It's totally fine where they just don't understand why they have to be to work on time. And I mean, there's just, but it, it goes back to the culture. So to me as an entrepreneur, I believe that if you set that standard and what you're willing to accept and you have your conditions of satisfaction, then, you know, it's up to the leaders to say what's, what's acceptable. I, I don't believe in that whole, um, you know, open workforce and they can do whatever they want. I, I just don't buy into that. Now I'm sure You've had people on your show that probably think totally different, and that's good too. There's all different ways to grow a business. But uh, certainly the mindset, the motivation has changed. It's intrinsically different. And, you know, how does an organization create a culture of that? Now, one of the things we do, and we just, we're, we just hired two new people here, is we write a very compelling ad. In, on Indeed or whatever platform we're going to use to hire. We put Easter eggs in there that if they don't pay attention to the Easter eggs, then we don't hire them. Mm -hmm. uh, we do a Zoom interview first to see how they can communicate. And you'd be surprised at how people show up for an interview, you know, holding their dog on their lap and just the kids are, I'm like, what are you thinking? I mean, I'm not expecting them to wear a suit or anything, but, but at least be professional and show up on time. Um, and then if from the Zoom interview, if they're any good, then we'll do assessments. And some people don't even want to fill out the assessment. They're like, well, I'm so good, you should just hire me. And I'm like, okay, if you can't take 15 minutes and answer a few questions, and um, then we bring them in and, and we see if they're a culture fit. 
And so we do a couple assessments. One's called workplace strengths and one's called the disc profile, which is very popular. People have used for, you know, 50 years. It's the dominant influence, influential, steady, and conscientious that helps you understand what a person's driver driving force is. Because we want to get the right people. If they're analytical, obviously, I mean, if we're looking for someone for accounting, we want them analytical. We don't want them socializing. We want them, we, we want them to be analytical. And if we were looking for someone to be in customer experience and sales, well, obviously, they need to be comfortable talking to people. So I think first, an organization needs to identify what's the role that they need, what's the, pers- what's the best personality fit that they need, and then how do they have a two-way channel with their employees because a lot of times the employees, like, they'll tell you what they want. And so, you know, I grew up saying, oh, this is the way it is, or it's the highway or my, my way or the highway. And I've learned over the years that I've had to change that belief system. And now we do lunch and learns and we do, we went to escape rooms and we've gone to karaoke and we've done bowling and we have family outings and they have flexible time and they can, you know, they have paid time off. And so there's a lot more things that I've had to do for the culture that initially I fought but now I've bought into. Yep. I can, I can relate with that Ford because I do have children. I have a 15 year old and a 12 year old and I find myself, um, I don't know, like that dominant that, you know, like treating them like employees and expecting more and and what, because I think of, I think my issue, my personal issue, and I'm just going to be frank with it is I compare myself. And I say, what would I do in this situation? And I know how I would handle it. Then I remember what I did because I started at 13 delivering papers. I bailed hay at the fairgrounds. I did whatever it was my, and I mean, I was born in 80, but my, my first job, I made under $4 an hour and I was happy with, it. you know, like I slept the best I've ever slept because I bailed hay and I was allergic to it, but I ended in, but I, I can appreciate that the culture has to change. Um, I think that there's there's a a fine line to walk between efficiency and production. You know, like production and making people happy, making people stay. Because the cost to lose people and to train a good employee when you could have just made some minor changes to their work to to the culture of the company to get them to stay. I think it's a, it's exciting. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. The people that the people that are watching the TikTok videos, they'll just in the YouTube videos, they'll just wash themselves up, right? Like they'll take care of themselves. But if we create a culture where we're um and the working from home thing is very interesting to me. It's a it's it's a it's nerve-wracking. Um I don't really understand it, but I think it's going to create companies to be more effective in job descriptions. And yeah, I think companies ac- across the world have been slacking so much in job description. This is what you do. This is what I expect of you every day. If you check every box, I'm happy with you, right? Like if, um, if they don't, if they keep adding, 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 and say like, if you do more, we will pay you more Then you know, that's not, I don't think that that's inducive of a healthy work environment or a culture where people are going to stay in my opinion, but it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't know the right answer and I don't know the solution, but I do believe that we are heading into a way where I'm comfortable with my my children going into the workforce because they're going to have it way better than I had. I got treated like dirt. They, I worked for a dealership and uh, the general manager was so mad at me. He asked me to wash all the lockers. I walked up there at 15 um, 
and they said, we can't hire you until you're 16. I said, well, I'll see you June 30th. And then on June 30th, I showed up and I'm like, hey, I'm ready to work. And they're like, what? And then we're like, yeah, you said when I'm 16. So they sent me out to wash the, the lot and it took me a while. It took me a few weeks to where I could get it down. But I got it down to where I was done by like 1030 in the morning. And they didn't want to find jobs for me to do. And the general manager of the dealership made me sweep the parking lot. Like I literally like swept the entire parking lot. I get lot it. Because, yeah. But I, I was out there and um, at a young age, I mean, I was 16. I was mad, obviously, like there was frustration. In, but I learned like I'm in control of my emotions. And if he's going to walk by me and he wants to see me with that frustrated face, I was not. I was I was smiling and I was waving at cars going by like I'm going to make this as fun as I can and get it done so I can just move on. You know, like uh, it's those things really make you who you are. And I appreciate it. Looking back, you know, at the time, it was difficult to go through. But looking back, I needed that to become who I am today. Um, and so maybe we're, we will miss out on a few of those things, um, you know, but it's uh, it, I, it is what it is. There's really no we have to create the culture where, where it keeps people to stay. But um, you can't make it too easy to where they're not doing anything all day long. Right. I think, it, you know, for me, it's performance based. I tell my employees. I'd rather have you be effective than efficient. And sometimes people are like, what? Well, if, if, they're, if I set the target and say, this is the goal, this is what we have to hit. If they hit the target, I'm good with it. Now, obviously I want them to follow our procedures. And you know, again, we're not doing brain surgery here. It's not like we're in a job that, you know, we're not like people's lives aren't in our hands. Obviously you want to follow procedures, everybody. But right. I think that you know, what you're experienced in the car dealership and what I experienced growing up, which I used to look at as, you know, kind of a chip on my shoulder, I don't think I'd be nearly as successful if I hadn't gone through the challenges I've gone through. Um, you know, for my son, it was important for me to teach him critical thinking. I didn't want him to, I, I told him he could do anything he wants. He could carry a gun, he could drink, he could do heroin, he could do anything. He never did those things because I gave him the permission to say, look, you can do whatever you want, but there's consequences. Mm -hmm. So if you're willing to accept the consequences, then you can do whatever you want. So it wasn't like, you can do whatever you want and there's no consequences. I taught him the critical thinking of consequences and, and I've done that with my employees too. You know, there's consequences. If you, if you perform well, I'll pay you more money. It, you know, I don't have to wait a year for your employee annual review. If you're doing a better job, I'm gonna pay you more money. Um, and I, I reward my employees for doing that. And I give out bonuses and things like that. But I think that the, the challenge that you have in the workforce is we're gonna go through a whole cycle where people are gonna realize that the government just can't take care of you, that they're gonna to have to take care of themselves and people are gonna take personal accountability for their own success. And just like what your, your, your main question of your pocket, you know, are you happy? And I think the key is it starts from you know, looking in the mirror and what are you willing to do? Take responsibility and stop blaming everybody else. And I'm talking to myself too, cause yeah, I'm, I'm not, believe me everybody, if, if those of you that know me or Google me, I'm not perfect. There's plenty of mistakes I've made. And I would just say though, I do accept responsibility. So I recently had an employee that sent an, a letter to one of our clients and it was a little rough around the edges. And, and the client I'd known for 30 years called me and said, hey, you know, what's this? And I read it and I was just appalled that this was the, something my employee sent. So I had to go talk to the employee and say, look, you know, I'm sure your heart was in the right place, but you know, you can't treat your, our clients like that because they're our gold, you know, that they pay our salary. And, and so, but it's, it's interesting how some people, they get so tunnel visioned into what they're working on 
that they don't look at a big picture of how that affects everything else. And so I think it's the same with um, employees in any job. You know, for those listening, if, whether you're in between jobs, you're working in a job, it's a choice. You know, I know that, that it's a choice for my employees to show up every day and it's a choice for me to keep them. Um, my goal is not to pay them the least amount of money to get the most amount of work. I think there's some companies that that's what they want to do. They're all interested in the bottom line. You know, in my business, Tom, I have, I have a, a power of three. Happy bank account, happy clients, happy team. And so my trifecta of success is when all those are, are working in the right direction. If I just make money, the team's miserable because I'm driving them too hard and they're, not, they're overworked and underpaid. If I just take care of the client, then we end up spending money because there's scope creep and we do things that weren't in the scope just to make them happy. And if I, you know, so it's the team, I got to take care of the team, I got to take care of the bank account, and I got to take care of the client. And so we, we look at those things and we use them as our metric to say, okay, are we on track? And we're not perfect by any means, but it does help us as a guide. And then we set clear expectations. And, we, and I, I've created a culture here where the culture helps monitor itself because I don't want to be the dictator. So yeah, you know, I think there's a lot to it. But like your kids, you know, at some point, they're going to have to learn those lessons, you know. And if you don't, you're doing them a disservice, I think. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of us who had it rough growing up, we want our kids to have it easier. But are we really doing them any favors when they haven't learned how to, you know, when they always get a trophy and everything's always good and they show up and they never have any, no one criticizes them. And all of a sudden they go to the workforce and someone gives them criticism. Right now, I, I work in a lot of franchise organizations. And they're having a hell of a time hiring, you know, first-time jobs, right? So fast food, cute, we serve restaurants. You know, the, I, had a, I was talking to a manager of, of a franchise, and he said that um, the problem in franchising right now with the minimum wage jobs is, first of all, they're getting paid so much money to start a minimum wage job. I mean, I can't even imagine getting paid 20 bucks an hour. I, I just, I, I don't, I mean, I mean, I remember when I made $1.75 an hour, and I know, okay, you're an old guy, it doesn't matter, but oh my God, there's no way you can afford to be in business for that, paying that kind of money for that type of work. And so they wonder why organizations are going to robotics and kiosks and things to try to cut costs because the solution is, will always serve itself, right? If they can't find people. And so I talked to this manager and he said that um, he hired this lady and she was really good for about two weeks. She was the kitchen manager and they were closing up and there's closing procedures that they're supposed to follow. And one of the closing procedures is to mop the kitchen. And the, her employee left without mopping the kitchen. So the owner said, hey, can you mop the kitchen before you leave? And he just asked. And she was like, F you, I'm not doing it. And she threw a broom down and, and walked out. And he's like, oh my goodness. All I, you know, it's a job. All I did is ask you to do it. But the problem is they know they can walk right across the street to the next business and get the same amount of money. So there's no job security. There's no loyalty to the organization and like you said when we first started this conversation is they they are so interested in them their own success their own happiness that they just don't believe that they have to really like it's almost punishment that they have to work and unfortunately you know i i hope that in my lifetime i see that turned around <laughs> I, i'm certain you will everything takes care of itself it just yeah. takes some time and you have to, it's painful to go through, but it's, uh, um, I see it cause I, I see it in my kids and I see it in if, if the ones working harder 
everyone's going to want to be like them, right? Like the results that the, the hard workers getting, um, you know, like with sports, they play sports. And uh, my oldest son, my wife is not helping the situation at all. And I'm not, I love her to death. Uh, but hypothetically, uh, hypothetically, if she listens to this episode, okay, keep going. <laughs> she's not going to listen. I don't think, I hope not. But um, anyways, she, um, you know, like, why isn't my son playing? She's, she's like, well, you need more playing time so you can get better. My oldest son, I love it. He said, um, he said, mom, I'm not good. Like I, I need to earn my way on the team. And by the end of the season, he earned his way. So it's just, those things are, and I love that. I, I like, I just, I, I shut up. I didn't, I didn't say like, you know, like stop saying that stuff, but I let him do it. And he just took, he already knew, you know, and um, it's those That's things. That's a great that lesson I, for him in anything because then he's going to realize that he's responsible for his own success and i think that's the real the value is you know take responsibility for your own success and i mean yeah i mean i i mean i didn't have it terribly bad as a kid i mean it's certainly more than worse than most but i mean i grew up in america i'm a, a white male um not to be political or anything like that i'm just saying you know yeah i grew up in the projects i was primarily you know black neighborhoods but I mean, I never missed a meal. You know, I lived, I lived on people's couches and people took care of me and there was hookers and pimps around me and they kept us out of, they kept us away from drugs because we were the young kids in the neighborhood and we were just punks. And, and we saw, I, I think the reason I never got into the drugs is I saw what it was doing to people. And I mean, at a young age, I saw the, the devastation. So I was so scared straight that I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. But you know, I, I think the key is no matter what you've had in your life, you know, I've got a lot of clients and now being as a, as a hall of fame keynote speaker on the circuit, you know, I've met a lot of people who've gone through just traumatic life changing experiences, amputations and death and cancer. And you, you name the ailment or the amputee or, I mean, I've seen it all and heard it all. And one of my good friends is a, a guy by the name of W Mitchell. And you guys can Google him W Mitchell. Um, wmitchellspeaks.com, I think is his website. And the guy's been burned over 90% of his body. And when you look at him the first time, if you meet him, it's, it's kind of hard to look at him. I mean, you know, it's, he's disfigured and everything. But as soon as he opens up his mouth, he's so brilliant and so grounded. And when you listen to someone who's been through everything, who basically his motto is, it's not what happens to you, it's, you know, what you do with what happens to you. And that's why he's such a, an inspiration. You just kind of have to go, okay, maybe my life isn't that bad. And, you know, you put things into perspective. And so we can all blow things out of proportion. I know I do. I'm just recovering from a cold. I've been on the road traveling. I have to leave for town in two days. I've got three podcasts set up today. I've got this one and two more. And it's like, oh, I'm just tired. I just want to go lay down on my couch and just, you know, let me just, let me get better. But then I'm like, okay. I have an opportunity to share some insights, to meet someone new, to find out, you know, meet some new friends. And hopefully, you know, for those of you listening, you can check me out at ProfitRichResults.com or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, mention that you heard me on a podcast because I don't just connect with everybody. So you need to at least give me some, some notice of that. But uh, I appreciate being on the show today. Yeah, 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 I do too. I've got one question and then we'll wrap up. We're already over our time, but it's been no well worth it, Ford. Uh, so if you had a message to give to the world, from a business perspective, what would that be? Add value, make a profit. I mean, I, I just think, you know, you don't go broke making a profit. There, profit's not a dirty word. Um, and if you want to make more money, revisit how are you really delivering value? And if you can do that, 
then you'll be successful in any business venture you have. That's it.